right, hey everybody, it's good to see you. My name is Brian, one of the pastors here uh, at the summit. Like Andy said, we are in the book of Proverbs, and we said last week as we jumped into this, the point of the book of Proverbs is to give us the gift of sight, to enable us to see the world, reality, our lives with clarity and from God's perspective and really see our lives correctly. For some of us, for the very first time um, in our lives. And, um, you know, the book of Proverbs talks about a lot, but, but one of the, it's kind of the most natural place for us to start as we're talking about seeing various aspects of our lives correctly. And the Proverbs desperately wants us to see ourselves correctly. That's, that's kind of what we're going to go after tonight, is that Proverbs stresses the importance of us seeing our lives, ourselves, who we are, our hearts, uh, with clarity. Now, the, the funny thing about knowing ourselves, um, I think, particularly when we're talking about like really knowing ourselves, I'm talking about... Um, not just having some sort of vague notion of what we're going to be good or weak at. I'm talking about knowing ourselves to the degree that, I mean, we're like actually aware and can name the specific weaknesses that we carry or the problems that we're trying to overcome or the struggles that impact the other people around us in a dramatic way. I think when it comes to knowing ourselves to that degree, for the vast majority of us, if we're just honest, the preference is we just rather not know. You know, like, we would just rather not know what is happening beneath the surface to that level of degree. It just makes us a little bit uncomfortable. And I said that's, a, I said that's humorous. The reason I said that's funny um, is because all of us, even though we do this, we would look at other people practicing the same behavior, and we would say, that is so unwise, that's so crazy, that's going to lead to all sorts of problems later, lo- later on in your life because you're living in such denial. In fact, think of it this way. Um, I, I think a lot of our lives are dictated by this rather not know uh, philosophy towards our problems. Let's not even talk about maybe us. We'll talk about that later. Let's just talk about, you know, for example, uh, medical conditions. I I was reading this week that that there's a significant population, a significant percentage of Americans who are carrying terminal illnesses, and they're fully aware of it. It's affecting their quality of life. They've got this huge growth coming out of their neck. Everybody else can see it. But when it comes down to it, like, they would just rather not know. They would just rather not go to the doctor. They never do. They never get diagnosed because it's a really scary thing to get diagnosed with cancer. But, you know, all of us would, like, look at that behavior and be like, man, just go to the doctor. It's not wise for you not to know. Or let's talk a little bit less serious. Let's talk about maybe food allergies. This week, I also read an article about people who have very serious food allergies. I'm talking, like, every single time you eat pizza, it gets absolutely bad for you. You know, like, it does not go well. You get very sick. The entire evening is ruined. But a lot of you, if that's you, the vast majority of people like you never want to go to the doctor to see if you have food allergies. Because if you go to the doctor and say, yeah, you're allergic to pizza, you feel guilty for eating pizza, and you know you can't eat pizza going forward. And so you just rather keep eating it, not knowing that you're allergic to it, and just keep getting sick again and again and again. Or just so you don't think I'm you know, kind of being harsh, let me tell you about me. Uh, for me, I think I've shared this before, I'm like the least handy person you've ever met in your entire life. I get nervous driving by the Home Depot on Colorado Boulevard. And um, for me... Um, you know, just one of the many things I know nothing about is cars. And um, anytime I'm driving a car and the check engine light comes on, it is one of the most anxiety-inducing experiences of my entire life. And and for most of you, you know, you're kind of handy and um, you're sane. And so you'd be like, huh, you know, the light says check engine. I should probably check out the engine, take it in somewhere to a mechanic and have it get checked out. But for me, I'm like, no, like how can I position my hands on the steering wheel so I no longer have to see the light? How can I, you know, I hear a rattle in the engine 
I'll just turn up the radio louder, and then I don't hear it. Like, problem's completely solved. Because I don't want to go to the mechanic. The mechanic is going to explain to me some sort of problem I don't understand. I'm going to feel like less of a man, and then I'm going to give him all of my hundreds of dollars. That I don't even know. I'm not, I don't, you know, you could have told me anything, and I would be giving you my money. But, you know, all of you, you would say, like, that's not, a wise way to, that's not a wise way to live your life. I mean, eventually the check engine light is going to start flashing and you're going to end up broken down on the side of the road. And so we do this. We, we, we carry this rather not know ideas, particularly when it comes to the problems in our lives. And all of us, we look at other people and we say, you know, it's tremendously unwise that you're living your life that way. But, but when it comes to us, I mean, this is the way we approach the deep problems in our hearts. This is the way we approach... Um, who we are. We approach our hearts kind of like I approach the check engine light. Um, you know, I know that there's a problem underneath the hood, but I'm, I don't really want to crack the thing open because I'm not sure what I'm going to find. I'm not sure if I'm going to like what I find, and so I just rather not know what's in there. And there are tremendous consequences for living that way. I mean, you've experienced this. There are tremendous consequences to just pretending like there's nothing wrong beneath the surface. I'm talking about bad relationship after bad relationship where the same person that you're dating, I mean, the kind of the common denominator is they're offering you the same feedback of why the relationship broke up. And you're just like, no, it's your fault. And it's happening again and again and again and again. Or you're getting, you know, let go from jobs or you're having blowups with your roommates or you're having struggles in your marriage. Our unwillingness to really face the problems that are going on beneath the hood have serious consequences. There's always a cost for thinking that way. And, and so, you know, just as we would look at anybody else and say it's tremendously unwise that you're failing to really face the realities in your life, we, we kind of need to point, you know, it's kind of like that classic thing, like a finger is pointing out there, but there's four fingers pointing back at us. And so we need to delve into what is going on beneath the hood to see, is there a problem? Can I really know myself? Who am I? Um, so that we can live and flourish as God would have us do. And, and really, that's the goal of Proverbs tonight, is, is that that's what it's going to do. It's going to push us to see ourselves with that degree of clarity. Now, if you uh, look back at the, uh, the passage we just read, uh, particularly, so chapter one was just kind of laying the foundation, reminding you what we talked about last week. We went through that. But we're going to look at chapter uh, 423. That's going to be kind of the, the major overview of what it is that we're going to be talking about. Um, and what it's going to talk about, what Proverbs actually talks about, when it, when it talks about us understanding who we are as we try to take on this task, is it's going to talk about the heart. And it talks about the heart. Book of Proverbs talks about the heart around 80 times. And when it talks about the heart, it's not talking about the physical organ beating in your chest. It's referring to, um, you know, like, like if you had a sweetheart on this past Valentine's on Friday. You know, maybe you said to one another, I love you with my whole heart. You weren't meaning like the beating organ inside my chest. You were like the sum total of who I am. Right? That's what you meant. That's what Proverbs means when it talks about the heart. The sum total of who you are. Your entire personhood, who you are. Now, look at Proverbs 4.23. It uses this water imagery that the book actually uses a lot when it's talking about the heart. And, and, and Proverbs has these beautiful images. This is just one of many. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart. So watch over your heart. Uh, protect your heart with vigilance. For, because, that's what he's saying, for from it flows the springs of life. For from it flows the springs of life. What the author of Proverbs is saying is just how there's a relationship between a body of water and its source, so there is a relationship between your life and your heart, okay? So, for example, in front of the REI in downtown, there's the South Platte River. That, that body of water doesn't just exist on its own. It is the overflow of a higher source, 
And what Proverbs is saying here is our lives uh, do not exist in isolation. That's the way we tend to think of our lives. It's it's just kind of coincidence. It's consequential. It's random. Um, The problems I face are just because of other people. And what the author of Proverbs is saying is no. No, it's not like that. Your life is the overflow of a higher source, and that source is the heart. That's what he wants you to understand. The source behind why you are experiencing the life that you're experiencing is the heart that is beating inside of you. Now, what I hope you understand with this, then, this is kind of logical, is that as we try to understand who we are, and as we try to make sense of the problems that we face, and as we try to kind of diagnose, why do I experience the frustrations that I, that I experience, is that you and I, if this is true, if there's my life and there's my heart, and the heart is upstream, what it means is you and I have to do the trek upstream. We have to hike upstream, and we have to understand the heart. If this doesn't make sense, let me just kind of tell you a story I heard um, this week. I think I actually heard it first back in college, and it's kind of a famous story, but um, here's, here's how it goes. There was a small African village on the, uh, the, the bank of a river. And, and so um, one of the days, there's a villager is going out, and he's fishing in the river, and he looks out, and he sees something floating in the river, and he's like, I think that's a baby. And then as it gets closer, it is a baby. It's a baby, and it's screaming, and it's fighting for its life, wailing. So he drops his fishing pole. He jumps into the river. He swims out, rescues the baby, gets out of the bank. It's like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be a hero. This was scary. I'm going to go take a nap. And uh, before he can go kind of tell everybody the great thing that he did, um, he all of a sudden hears more crying. And he looks at the baby in front of him. That baby's not crying. He turns around. He's like, oh, my gosh, there's two babies in the river. Drops the baby, places the baby down safely. (laughs) You know, it didn't go that far to, you know doesn't toss the baby, places the baby down safely, jumps into the river, swims out, grabs each one of the, you know, the two babies that are floating out there, wrap them under their arms, comes back. He's like, man, I'm really going to be a hero now. He's about to place them down. Here's more crying. He looks behind him, four babies. He, he cries out because he knows he can't get them up. All these other villagers come running. They go save the four babies. And then all of a sudden they get back and it's eight babies and 16 and 32. And it just multiplies and multiplies and multiplies until pretty soon the entire village is consumed with trying to save the lives of these babies. They set up shifts. They have a, you know, a whole coalition. I mean, this thing is life-encompassing for this village, and it's like that month upon month upon month. And then all of a sudden, this new family moves into the village, and um, you know, as the family moves in, they go to the father, and they say, you know, it's a man's responsibility to go and uh, you know, take their shift on the river, show up first thing tomorrow morning. We'll give you orientation. We'll help you understand exactly how this works. And so he says, okay. Next morning, he gets up. He walks to the river, sees all these babies floating down. He sees all these people going out to rescue them. And he takes one look, and instead of walking into the river, he starts walking upstream. And everybody starts kind of freaking out. They're like, like it's your turn, it's your shift, you gotta get in, you start rescuing these babies, where are you going? And as he's walking upstream, he turns around and he says, I'm gonna see who's throwing these babies in the river in the first place. And what Solomon is saying about our lives and our heart is something similar, that most of us are doing our entire lives downstream, thinking it's nothing but coincidence and frustration and other people's, other people's problems and other people's faults. And no, we have to trek upstream to the source to see who is throwing all this mess into our lives in the first place. We have to trek upstream and see why are those things there. Now, let me say this. Before we do this, I have to tell you, we hate doing this, <laughs> okay? 
I'm just going to go ahead and warn you on the front end. Before we do this, we kind of trek upstream and see our hearts and who, are, who we really are. That's what Proverbs is trying to do. Let me just kind of warn you, we hate doing this because we would much rather kind of think the problems totally exist out there. And so how does this kind of manifest itself? Let's say, for example, that, um, you know, let's just say, for example, you're the type of person who struggles with saying really sarcastic, hurtful things. Like they just kind of flow out of your mouth. Um, you know, I mean, if that's you and that's a lot of us, most of us, you know, rather than diving into our hearts and being like, why is it so easy for me to say such damaging things without even thinking twice? Like, what does that say about the quality of my heart that I can say such hurtful things? We'd much rather just kind of think like, well, if you would stop being an idiot, I wouldn't have to call you an idiot. And that would be, you know, problem solved. Or it's the same way with lust. If you struggle with lust, it's much easier to just set up, you know, okay, well, the problem for my porn addiction is to look at, you know, get some accountability software, get an accountability partner, memorize three verses on purity, and boom, it's gone. Rather than be like, okay, what is going on in my heart that makes it so easy for me to objectify women in such a damaging, unhealthy way? Or let's say you live in an anxiety-induced life. It's much easier to think, well, you know, like if you would just let the life uh, world go exactly the way I want the way the world to go, um, you know, I at least have these bath salts that allows me to relax during the week, and that's the solution to all of this. Um, you know, instead, you know, why is it that we're not like, okay, well, what's going on in my heart that like the smallest thing not going my way sets me off and leads me trying to seek revenge and blowing up? Like, what is going on in the source? And that's what Proverbs 4.23 is challenging us to do, is to understand there's our lives, but they are an overflow of our hearts. And while many of us think that our problems, our frustrations stem from outside of us, what Solomon is saying is, no, the problem is in here. The problem is inside of us. The common denominator in these frustrations is me. Again, let me just say this. I, I feel like I just need to say this. I'm not saying, look, There's some of you who have experienced problems that are not your fault whatsoever. I'm talking particularly to those of you who have experienced some sort of abuse, okay? It is not, what he's not saying here is, it's your fault. That's that's what, but, but for the vast majority of our problems, we tend to think, we tend to think the problem is out there, but really it's in here. This is the source, and we gotta deal with it. We gotta understand what it is, and we gotta hike up the stream and see what's going on in there. So, That's what we're going to do, okay? Um, So we have this kind of call upstream. And uh, now let's see what it is that we see, okay? Um, Here's kind of how we're going to do this. I'm trying to think about this more almost like a counseling conversation. So I'm just going to sit down. And um, that way, if I say something offensive, you know, I'm like less threatening um, when I say something. uh, (laughs) All right, let's do this, okay? Okay. so here's what we see. Uh, Proverbs, again, talks about the heart around 80 times, but I, I think that Proverbs in the Bible gives, there's kind of three major themes that I think would be really helpful for you to come away with tonight, okay? Three major themes. The first is this, is that work is required to understand the heart, okay? Work is required to understand the heart. Now, this is a little bit counterintuitive because I think for all of us, we think that, like, if there's one thing I know, it's me, Right? Like, I'm around me all the time. I hang out with me all the time. I can't escape me. So if there's one thing I know, it's me. But Proverbs actually says the exact opposite. In fact, um, Proverbs 20, we're, we're going to look at Proverbs 20 now. We'll have it up on the screen, but if you want to turn there as well, you're more than welcome to. In Proverbs 20, verse 5, uh, the author picks up this water imagery again, and here's what he says. He says, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. 
He says, the purpose in a man's heart or a woman's heart is like deep water. And if, you know, if you've been in water, you know, you know instantly this image kind of comes to mind. For me, I grew up uh, in Richmond, Virginia, two miles away from the James River. And you'd be f- swimming around in the James River, and all of a sudden something would brush up against your leg. You ever had that happen to you in the ocean? And you look down, and you can't see what it is because the water's so deep and it's so murky, and you're like, get me into the boat. Get me into the boat as soon as possible. That's what is going on in our hearts. A lot of times we bump into things, run into things, we look down, we can't see what it is, and so we're just like, forget this, and we move on. So he's saying is we have to work. We have to do the hard work of understanding our hearts. This should make complete sense. This is the reason why so many of us are scared of being known. This is the reason why many of us, we get into conversations with people and it's starting to get serious and it's not kind of jokey anymore and, and we're about to kind of reveal something that we're heard about. And what do we do? What do we do in that moment? We make a sarcastic comment to kind of you know, lighten the mood and then get out of that conversation uh, as quickly as possible. This is why you know, if you uh, uh, feel the propensity to cry, you feel ashamed, you feel like you have to apologize, you know, you're kind of like especially you men, you're like squeezing it in and you're trying to think of something uber manly in order to keep the salty discharge from coming out of your eyes. You're like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Terminator 2 would never cry and so I won't cry and I'm going to think of the Terminator because I am a Terminator and I'm a man. And, you know, we're just so like, we're just so unable to really like, why is that sadness that leads me to cry existing in my heart in the first place? Like, why am I not listening to what is going on inside of me. Why am I drinking away my feelings? Why am I ignoring my feelings? Why am I distracting away my feelings from watching TV and all sorts of other kind of great experiences the city has to offer? Why is, it I'm so, why is it so hard for me to understand what's going on inside of me? It's going to be work, okay? It's going to be, you just have to know that on the front. You have to kill that assumption that you really know yourself really that well. And, and here's what I want to do. I want to be kind of as practical as possible with this. What, what I want to challenge you is to really do the work of knowing your heart in two particular ways, okay? Two particular ways I'm going to give you um, with this point. And, um, you know, again, I'm trying to just be as practical as possible. The first is this, is I, is I think in order for us to really know our hearts and who we are, we have to feel our feelings, Okay? We have to feel our feelings. Do I feel like less of a man even saying that? Yes, I do. But we have to feel our feelings. And let me tell you where this comes from. Everything I'm about to say for the next five minutes or so comes from a book called The Voice of the Heart. The Voice of the Heart, which is fantastic and uh, was one of the best books I read uh, last year. I would highly encourage you to read it. If you struggle with anxiety, depression, basically if you're a normal human being, I would encourage you to read it, okay? Um, and, And here's what the book says, is that emotions, our feelings, are the voice of the heart. So the the heart tries to communicate with us, communicate with our brains, and and kind of the language it uses is our feelings and our emotions. But the vast majority of us, we do whatever we take not to listen to that voice, don't we? We try to mute it. We try to, you know, again, distract it away, drink it away, make sure we don't hear it whatsoever. But but we are meant to feel our feelings and listen to what is going on inside of us. Now, um, again, this probably doesn't seem you know, okay, how exactly do you do that? I feel like the best way for me to do this, I'm not a poster child for this. I mean, I am emotionally handicapped. That's what I've realized over the last year. But I'm trying to grow, okay? I'm trying to get better at this. And here's what, here's what I try to do, is that, okay, so for me, um, an emotion I struggle with, 
this is just an exercise in emotional health right here uh, to put myself out here. Uh, an emotion that I struggle with is anxiety. I, I like really struggle with anxiety. I have trouble sleeping. I live an anxiety-filled life, uh, particularly because, I mean, one, you know, all the things that are going on inside of me, but for some reason, I chose the career path of church planner in Denver, which is anxiety-filled, uh, as well as I decided to take, you know, prioritize building my family through an international adoption, which is also anxiety-filled as well. Basically, I'm an idiot. And, um, <laughs> and uh, for me, you know, again, I'll just give you an example of something that, like, causes anxiety for me. Maybe, maybe this, you can relate to this as well. Um, so, for example, I've realized I really care about people um, probably in a way deeper than I ever really understood. And, um, and isn't it funny how, like, people you really care about a lot of times not only make really bad decisions, but they also go as far to, like, publish those terrible decisions on social media so everybody else can see those terrible decisions as well. And so, you know, I'll just be, like, working in a coffee shop, and all of a sudden it pops up in my newsfeed, like, man, I've invested my life in you, and now you're, like, making terrible decisions. And all of a sudden it's like my heart is on fire. Anybody relate to this? Hopefully. Um, now, I think before I've started really pressing into this, my natural response to this was typically, um, okay, get back to work, um, find something else on the internet that'll make you happy, go to Reddit and find a picture of like a cat hugging a puppy, and um, okay, positive vibes will come back, and that'll distract me away from the things that made me so sad and frustrated. Um, you know, basically, I would run away from my feelings, and now I'm really trying to be a man who feels my feelings. And so here's, here's again, I want to be practical with you, so here's exactly what this looks like. If you see me staring off into space in a coffee shop in Denver, this is typically what's happening. I haven't zoned out. I'm just having this internal dialogue with myself, right? Where I just say this. I say, okay, I feel anxious. That's like so big for me just to even name it. Like, I feel anxious. Why do I feel anxious? Well, like, a big reason I feel anxious is like, I really care about this person, and I've invested a significant part of my life for them, and I've had them in my home, and, and I really care about them, and it really, it just burdens me. It upsets me that they are making self-destructive decisions. Okay, well, a lot of this anxiety is coming from a really healthy place. It is stemming from your love for this person, and it's okay for you to feel this anxiety. It's okay to embrace that and even live in that because you should feel anxious because you care about them. But as I probe deeper, it's like, okay, there's also something tremendously unhealthy in there because I think you're also anxious because I think I also believe that, you know, this person should listen to you more and if they would just listen to you, if you could just kind of speak and it is, then, you know, they would totally change their lives and really what this is revealing is you have some controlling instincts inside of you and that's not good, that's bad. It's bad that you desire to kind of speak and it is just the way that God does. It's bad that I desire to play God. Okay, like I want to take this to God and I want to pray and I want to ask him to forgive me for my, my controlling nature. I want him to forgive me uh, from believing that I can just say some something in totally save and redeem somebody. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, having that internal dialogue instead of basically not having that internal dialogue, look, I understand it sounds crazy, especially having this conversation from the stage, but what's even crazier is pretending like the voice isn't there. And I'm telling you, it has been liberating for me in so many ways to just kind of embrace and say, okay, I'm going to listen to what's going on in my heart. I'm going to feel my feelings, and I'm going to try to make sense of this through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the second way that I want to challenge you to work on your life. The second way I want to challenge you is um, I want you to invite observations from community, okay? I want to challenge you to invite observations from community because here's the thing. 
um, is the heart, when we're so close to our own hearts, when we're so close to our own lives, it's hard for us to see very clearly. It's hard for us to see our own lives very clearly. The, the way I thought, think about it is it's kind of like a Monet painting. Um, this is my uh, attempt to convince you that I'm actually cultured and don't just give all my sermon illustrations from reality TV. So, but Megan and I, um, we went to uh, the Denver Art Museum, and they have a real live Monet there. Um, and we had family in town. That's why we were there, in case you're, you know, yeah, that's what you do when your family comes in town. And uh, the thing about a Monet painting is, like, when you're tremendously close to it, it is an absolute mess. Have you ever seen that? It is just an absolute mess. The brush, I mean, you can't even tell what it is, but you stand far away, and, and, and there's, it's beautiful. It's absolute clarity. And I think our hearts function much in the same way, where when we're as close to our hearts as we are, it, it's kind of hard for us to see very clearly. But when people are standing far off, they see what's going on for real. And so we need to have community. We need to have people around us that we go to and we invite to make observations into our lives because a lot of times they can see our lives better than we can. Again, I'm not the poster child for this, but let me just, just to be practical, here, here's what I've tried to do. I've tried to find men, men in particular. My wife has this uh, <laughs> right, abs- you know, without question, but, but, but I've gone to men in our church and I've said to them, I want you to know, I've literally said, I want you to know that you have permission to make observations into my life. I want you to know that you have permission to do that. And when you come and you make those observations, uh, maybe it's something, a blind spot I don't see. Maybe it's something um, insensitive that I said. Maybe it's something good. Maybe it's God's grace that I'm uh, not properly celebrating. But whatever it is, you're going to bring that to me. And I, I promise you this, I'm going to listen. Okay? I'm not going to fight back. I'm not going to be like, no, you're insensitive. I'm not going to have this defense attorney run to my head. And as I'm just nodding like this, all I'm like is like, that's why that's wrong. That's why that's wrong. That's why that's wrong. That's why you're wrong. That's why you're stupid. No, I mean, I'm going to listen because a lot of times people see my life better than I do. And I'll tell you where this came from. Again, this, this wasn't original to me, but where this came from was several years ago, I went down to Mexico um, to help train some pastors down there. And um, I was one of the leaders of this trip, but the leader of the trip was the president of a Christian college in the, the town that I was living in. And this guy was like super wise. He, he was in his 50s. He had six kids, six kids, which requires incredible patience uh, and wisdom. He had a PhD in theology. So he was older, wiser, more, into, I mean, he was, he was, everything was better than me. Everything was better than me. And you know what he did? On the first day of the trip, he grabbed me and one other leader. And he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to know that you have absolute permission to make observations into my life. I'm like, really? Like, I mean, you know, I've been married for like not even a year yet. I have no kids. I have no experience compared to you. I have no wisdom compared to you. And I'll tell you, that experience for me, it changed my life because I got a glimpse of a man who was willing, I mean, look, is a conversation like that difficult? Absolutely. But you know what's even worse is living a whole life unexamined where everyone else can see problems other than you. And we just deny and we deny and we deny and we pretend like they're not there. I got a glimpse of a man like that. I said, that's the type of man I want to be. I'm not there yet, but at least I'm trying to get there. And I think you want to try to get there as well. And a simple action step is just to think about somebody here. I'm not talking about somebody far away. It's really easy to be held accountable by somebody far away, right? I mean, through a text message, somebody. I'm talking about somebody who knows you and sees you here. Maybe think of one person and to say, okay, I'm going to give you permission to speak into my life because a lot of times I don't see my life as clearly as other people. And I'm going to listen and I'm going to just maybe accept the fact that this is God's grace, God's grace, redeeming me and conforming to the image he would have me to be. Okay, the second way to know our lives 
Um, or the second thing the Proverbs teaches about the heart. Um, the heart has to be filtered before it's followed, okay? The heart has to be filtered before it's followed. And again, if you're at Proverbs chapter 20, we'll have this on the screen as well. Proverbs chapter 20, a few verses later, verse 9 says this, Who can say, I have cleansed my heart, I am pure from my sin? So again, they're returning to the water imagery. And what, what Proverbs is saying is that all of us, you know, okay, if our lives are downstream, our hearts are the source, then all of us are doing life with polluted wells. That's, that's, what, that's what the author is saying here, is that our, if our lives are the source, all of us have very dirty sources. It's dirtied by something right here is called sin. Now, sin is just a word that's used over and over again in the Bible, talking about separation from God. It's anything that dishonors, displeases, pleases, disregards God. And, it, and the Bible describes it like a disease, a disease that contaminates our hearts. And so we have to understand this, is that we have to recognize that as we are doing life, we are doing life as an overflow of a polluted well inside of us. Now, again, this starts to kind of make absolute, <laughs> complete sense. It, you know, this is the part where all of us believe the Bible's true, um, you know, whether we're kind of Christians in this room or not. Um, where some of the most popular cultural advice that we receive is the advice to follow your heart, right? I mean, people say that, follow your heart, follow your heart, follow your heart. And, and kind of no matter what you believe, you can objectively look at that, and you can even think about times in your life where you've done that, and you've felt in your heart of hearts, um, you know, I should date this guy. I do want this relationship to work. I do want to take this career path. Uh, this will make me happy. I, I felt it, known it. Affirmed, I mean, it has been in my heart of hearts, and it has led to nothing but disaster. Absolute, absolute disaster. Why is that? Because the heart, it has to be filtered before it's followed. We're dealing with a polluted heart. And so it's kind of like, you know, again, any of you who, if I were hiked, camped, you know exactly how this works. If you get up into the mountains and you have a stream of water, are you just, you know, if, even if you're really, really thirsty, are you just putting down your water bottle into that thing and then just chugging it? You're not if you don't want it to, you know, unless you want it to go really, really poorly for you. Because that water, it's typically contaminated with all sorts of bacteria and microbes, and the last half of the hike will be far more unpleasant than the first half. And so what do you do? What do you do before you go on this hike? Well, you go to REI, and you buy some crazy expensive water filtration system that you may use once your entire life. Just kidding. Seriously. Like, once <laughs> your whole life. <laughs> right? And then we filter out the water, and then we drink it. And then we have to do the same thing with our hearts. You just following your heart blindly before filtering is like just taking big gulps of mountain water and expecting things to go well for you. We've got to filter our hearts before we follow our hearts. Now, let me, again, try to be as practical as possible. Let me just give you a couple ways to do this. I want to challenge you to filter your heart through the Bible. Filter your heart through the Bible. One of the reasons we study the Bible, read the Bible, teach the Bible, sing the Bible is because the Bible is a book that we don't just study. The Bible studies us. It filters us. And what happens is as we really begin to understand the book of the Bible and we read it, what happens is our hearts and our souls and our minds are studied and examined and hopefully filtered 
hopefully filter that what we see is there's areas where we're just wrong. We're wrong about sex and, the, and family and, and our jobs and purpose and money and success. And what happens as we're reading the word, it, starts to, it serves as this filter that is catching these unhealthy things that dwell in our hearts and causing us to make such self-destructive decisions. And so hopefully as you're studying the Bible, what you understand is you're being studied, you're being filtered, and allow the word of God to filter you in that way. Let me give you a second way as well. I want to challenge you to be filtered through community as well. And return to this image uh, or to this importance of um, community. Proverbs says this. Proverbs says, I think it's uh, Proverbs 15, 22, talks about how there is wisdom in the counsel of many. There's wisdom in the counsel of many. And when, when Proverbs says that, what it means is we have these blind spots. And really prior to making major life decisions and jumping into relationships and getting... Uh, committing significant parts of our lives away, what we need to do is we need to run it through the filter of other people. I just so come to believe this again. I'm not a poster child for this. I'm just trying to give myself, like, the way I've learned this. Um, I've just so come to believe that that's true, that I just don't make a major life decision alone. There's just not a single life decision I don't make, um, that I make before, how how do I say that? I don't make a major life decision before I talk to people I trust around me that I know love me enough to speak truth into my life as well. And so that's a great way to kind of filter your heart as well. A lot of times people are like, no, that's stupid. That's not going to go well for you. And we just got to listen. We got to listen. We're saved from tremendous heartbreak. Okay, third and final thing that that Proverbs and the Bible teaches us about our hearts is this, is that the heart can be redeemed. The heart can be redeemed. Hopefully that's what you're seeing here is that, is that, the heart needs not just kind of moral improvement. It needs complete renewal. It needs redemption. It has to be redeemed. And here's what I want to do. I want to point to you. Jesus, hundreds of years after all of this was written, actually picks back up this theme. And he not only, he not only echoes the problems of the heart, but he actually points to himself as a solution. We're going to have this passage up on screen, but it's from John chapter 7. And here's what, here's what Jesus says. He says, on the last day of the feast, The great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I love that image. I love it when he says that. Not just echoing these problems that are raised by Proverbs, but but ultimately pointing to himself as a solution to say, Yes, we are dealing with polluted wells but I will drill down into your chest when you believe in me, give you a new source and enable you to live a life that is the overflow of a pure, clean, living heart. I love that image. It even made me think this week, you know, many of you, you're very kind of socially, globally aware. And so you know, for example, that um, a significant percentage of the world's population doesn't have access to clean drinking water. And uh, I I was even reading an article this week about this tribe uh, in Rwanda that has, everybody in there has to travel three hours in order to get to clean drinking water. And it wasn't clean drinking water as much as it is clean-ish drinking water. I mean, still nasty, still disgusting, as well as it was apparently full of hippopotamuses and crocodiles that were extremely territorial. And so just very bad for these people. You travel three hours, you still get sick. And if you don't get sick, you at least get bitten or chased down by a hippopotamus. And, um, <clears throat> This humanitarian organization kind of hears about this. They go into the village and they say, okay, like, this isn't acceptable. People shouldn't have to live this way. And they actually drill a well <clears throat> right in the city, right in the center of the city. 
And, you know, after a few months' work, it's, it's pretty amazing. I was trying not to, like, lose it over my laptop <laughs> in a coffee shop in Denver this week. But it's beautiful where this, this little town that, you know, before they had no access to clean drinking water, all of a sudden, just right in the center, drilled, boom. Clean, pure water, and their lives were forever changed. It's kind of the image of what Jesus is giving here when he's kind of not only just acknowledging this problem, but he's also presenting himself as a solution for it. He's saying that like on one hand in the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the heart of what we believe, is that if we really come to understand who we are, we are far more flawed, we are far more messed up than we could ever begin to wrap our minds around. Again, if, if we ever kind of doubt um, that we have lived lives that stem and are the overflow of polluted wells, I mean, all we have to do is look at the cross of Jesus Christ. We look at the cross and we say, okay, what my sin, what my pollution demanded uh, was something greater than kind of religious rules or moral improvement. No, I mean, what it, what it demanded was the Son of God being crucified in the place of me for my sin. And we look at that and we say, okay, like, I am far more flawed. If I'm really going to understand who I am, I am far more flawed than I could ever imagine. But then we look at what happens when we believe the gospel and we see how Jesus Christ sees us for who we really are. And he doesn't condemn us. He doesn't run from us. He uh, dies in our place and forgives us and extends us grace and forgiveness. And in the gospel, it's proclaimed, it's so beautiful, is that on one hand, we are more flawed. If we're really going to understand who we are, I am more flawed than I could ever imagine, but I am more loved, forgiven, accepted than I ever dared to dream. And not just that, but Jesus Christ, when he forgives me, he changes me. He drills down into my chest and he plants a new well, a new source, a new heart, the overflow of which is clean, living water. So that the overflow of that heart can be a life in accordance with the beauty and the wisdom of God that leads to us flourishing as he intended us to flourish. And so as we close and as we pray, we're, we're going to take communion. Um, and what I hope you understand that as we take communion, that this is an opportunity not just kind of partake of a, of a church ritual, but more than anything, this is an opportunity for you to think and marvel at the grace and love of Jesus. Jesus Christ, who sees us as, who, as we really are, more flawed than we could ever imagine, living a life that's an overflow of polluted well. And him taking upon himself all of that pollution, all of that filth, all of that bad decision-making, and saying, it's okay. I will take on what you deserved, and I will give you a brand new heart so that you can be a brand new person and live a brand new life. And so as we take communion As we sing, I pray that you would marvel and celebrate him and respond to him and know that he is the one who ultimately helps us not just understand who we are, but overcome who we really are. So we become the person that God desires us to be. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much. The Bible is a book that studies us. And in spite of the fact that we want to assume that we understand exactly who we are and we're such great people and problems are always outside of me, that the Bible calls it as it is and shows us as the common denominator for the brokenness we experience in our lives. 
And God, I pray that for us in this room, that we would humbly accept the diagnosis we receive. That we would say, yes, there is a problem with me. Not other people, not my family, not my spouse, not my employer, not my friends, not me. And God, let us see us for who we really are. Not condemned, but you condemned for us, liberating us to overcome our past and our mistakes and our pollution and our sin, enabling us to be a brand new person with living water flowing from our hearts. God, let us be men and women who characterize this and accept this and believe this. And... um, Give us the courage to understand who we are apart from you and in you. It is beautiful, and we thank you. Pray that we celebrate accordingly now. May us all these things in your name. Amen.